Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And welcome. Uh, You're listening to the Living Free Show um, on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, uh, highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active drug addiction. Uh, I'd like to welcome Marcus and Will to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Um, As members of Narcotics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with drug addiction and how NA helped them. Uh, We usually start, you know, pretty early in life, so um, Marcus, what, what was life like early on, you know, back in primary school? Yeah, um, for me, I was a very disconnected child. Um, I was always in trouble. Um, like for me, we talk about the obsession and compulsion and before I'd even picked up a drug, um, I was like... I was addicted to video games like Street Fighter 2, um, basketball cards, and even back then, like, I, I was thieving and um, doing burglaries to pay for that habit, you know, and that's before I'd, I'd picked up a drug. And, um, yeah, I, I was, I was like, I remember even my um, <clears throat> my parents, like, my mum used to take me to... Um, uh, like psychologists, psychiatrists and that, and um, they used to say I was just a bad boy, I was a bad boy, but really I was I was a scared little child that was just um, lacking connection. And the way I found connection was um, with people that, that were doing the wrong thing and um, eventually that was um, the start of my drug use. So you said before you, you liked... Um Basketball cards and things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you obsessed with lots of things? Uh, lots of things. Yeah, sport um, was another thing. Um, uh, like girls from an early age too. Like I'd get, I'd get hung up on on certain things and um, anything to, that sort of made me feel good or or, or could um, take away, sort of um, take my mind away from reality. I was, I would, I would obsess over it and. Um, you know, it'll get me into trouble. Okay, so you sought excitement. Is that the yeah. excitement? Yeah. yeah, was a big thing for me. Like, yeah. if I saw the wrong thing going on, like I had to be part of it. And um, yeah, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't sit still. Like I ran rings around my parents and my teachers, and um, yeah, the, the, that's excitement was um, what I was about. Okay, mm. um, so when when did you get into drugs or alcohol? Um, I started using from about the age of 12 or 13, um, and when I used, I remember, like, everything else that, like, I was sort of obsessing about went away, and, and it all became about the drugs, and, um, you know, that, that... I sort of didn't stop using as soon as I picked up that first drug, one or another, from um, from thirteen till I was thirty six. So um, yeah, like, and and it got bad real quick with me. Okay. Like, so what did you start with? 
I started off uh, smoking marijuana. Um, you know, it's, it's, I like first time I didn't like it. Like I, I was like, yeah, I was just doing it because the boys were doing it, and then like it wasn't long before that took that took over my life. That and um, and I was smoking every day. Um, then come the harder drugs, the acid, the speed, the ecstasy, and that was from like. 14, 15 onwards. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you leave school? I left school in year nine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was probably, what, 15? Yeah. Yep. Um, left school to pursue uh, selling drugs and, um, yeah, a life of using, which, okay. which um, yeah, I didn't think I would end up where I did. Okay, thanks. Uh, So, Will, what about you? What was life like early on? Yeah, so look, I grew up in New Zealand, and um, from the outside looking in, um, uh, I came from a middle-class family, reasonably well-off, and, um, you know, like, we went on holidays, we had all the toys, uh, a lot of opportunities, and um, but on the inside, what was actually going on was... um, I was brought up with a father who sort of ruled the house with intimidation and fear and uh, a mother that was very um, over-encumbersome, very over-loving, almost smothering. Um, And my brother, um, who we sort of were stuck in this relationship of I would tease him profusely and then he would just beat me. You know, there was a lot of violence there. And uh, also in my childhood, there was a bit of, um, yeah, abuse. And uh, so, and a lot of displacement, you know, like um, growing up, we, you know, every other year we were moving to a new, a new neighborhood, a new place. Um, So like, you know, those early relationships I would build with people would be, um, would be uprooted and I'd be on to the next one. So um, I guess from a very young age, um, I learned some coping skills that weren't so healthy. Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, So... You uh, grew up in New Zealand, so coming to Australia, how did when did that happen? So I moved to Australia with my family when I was about twelve years old, and uh, went to a, um, a private school here in Melbourne, and um, it was a real culture shock for me. Um, I sort of come from a small country town in New Zealand um, to now a big city where um, you know I was sort of felt less than, and um, I was sort of bullied profusely, uh, being someone different. You know, like I was that Kiwi kid with a, a funny accent um, amongst you know thousands of Aussie kids, and um, I just couldn't um, relate, uh, and I guess they couldn't relate to me in some way. So I look, I was just different, and um, and I I got the brunt of that and uh so all of a sudden you know i guess i'm learning to put masks up to protect myself and this is right in that crucial period where uh you know like i'm going through puberty and um i'm starting to develop who i'm going to be and what i am and um you know you throw in the childhood mixed in with now coming into my puberty and sort of growing into an adult and uh you know for me i just learned that it was safe for me to put masks up and 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 to protect myself you know um yeah yeah okay mm. um so when did you start using and what? Yeah. So, well, so my first sort of experience was with alcohol when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And, uh, you know, like right from the get-go, like that first taste, I, um, look, I drank until I blacked out. Like I literally, I was in a treehouse and I blacked out and fell out of the treehouse and projectile vomited <laughs> yeah. on the grass. And uh, and I remember my parents actually taking me home and throwing me in the pool to try to sober me up and then put me to bed. So, uh, look, yeah, that was my first experience. And then the truth is from about the age of, you know, 13 onwards to about 18, 
I had a I had a what you would call a normal I don't know what is normal but yeah. look I dabbled with drugs and alcohol um, but my I guess my main outlet for gratification was sex um, was relationships with women and that's where I found my gratification and my way of getting outside of myself um, yeah yeah mm. so um, how did the family take to your drinking um, uh, I guess like in the early stages with the alcohol it was I suppose like um I guess it was just me being a kid, I suppose. Like, it was quite... It was normalised. Like, I remember my parents actually... My mum buying me alcohol because I think from her perspective, uh, she would rather supply it herself than um, me go out and try to get it myself, you know. At least she knew what I was drinking, um... You know, and then um, I suppose as the years went on with um, uh, with more drugs, um, I, I my secret life started emerging. Where like I had the two two existences, you know, my my relationship with my family and um, and then my relationship with drugs, and um, and I sort of tried to keep them separate, but they always sort of smashed into each other. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so so how did you find living in Australia then um, as a yeah, not fitting in. So, did that have an influence on the way you lived? Yeah, I suppose. Um, like it was tough. Like I, I really, I suppose now looking back, like it created a lot of fear. Like fear of not fitting in, fear of um, not being enough, mm. um, and then it, it led to me trying to be something that I wasn't. You know, um, it led to me putting up all these layers of masks. Um, you know that. Like I don't know. I guess I lost myself in that process. Like I really did. I lost myself, and um, and I suppose like whether it was childhood traumas or or the integration to a new country, um, and the experiences that I had, I found a way to get outside of myself, and that was you know drugs, drugs, alcohol, and and relationships. Um, and and that suited me because it meant that I didn't have to deal with actually the core stuff that was going on. It, it really enabled me to put my head in the sand. Okay. Mm. Um, so, Marcus, um, you left school around 14. Yep. You started selling drugs. Um, yep. How did life progress from there? Um, Were you living at home? I was living at home, yep. Yep, yep. living with my parents. Um, I was, from that on, from then onwards, like I was always in, um, I, was, I went back to school, right, because I promised my mum that I'll do year 10. And I did that, and from then on, like I was always in and out of jobs. Um, always the using was interfering with um, whatever I was doing. Relationships, man, relationships. Like every time I'd get in a relationship, the using would wreck it. Um, so, what were you using at this point? At that point, when I left, um, when I left after I, well, I was always um, on the, the dope and the. And the um, Alcohol, but I'd pick up one and stop another, and um, I was teeter tottering around the heroin then, um, just smoking it. You know, it was never never a problem. Well, not what I thought. Um, the ice and um, and like I could put that down for someone, like I could put that down for a girlfriend or something, but and and just drink, you know, drink for four or five days a week and. That would be all right because on the outside that that was you know that was accepted, um, but you know it wasn't long before I was using the harder drugs again, and um, you know life was just it was just a revolving door of hell. You know, I was I, I would 
you know, I didn't, I didn't like myself. I hated myself, and the harder I used was um, the worst I felt about myself because I would just ruin everything. Yeah. So, what were your friends doing at this point? Were they all? Did you have friends who were using? Yeah, everyone I knew used. Everyone okay. I knew used everything that we revolved around. You know, I was involved in um, like graffiti gangs, and, and I was a skater before that, and um, you know, ended up a criminal. And um, <clears throat> wherever, like, I, I was always uh, looking for. Um, Connection and and uh, the way I found connection was in the people that were doing the wrong thing, as I said before. But um, yeah, our lives revolved around really to the essence was using, you know. And it wasn't long before, you know, we had a, a good crew, and then we would, you know, we'd be robbing each other and and doing stuff on each other's backs, and um, yeah, it was just it was a really sad existence. Yeah. Mm. So, did you have a relationship at that point? Uh, girls. Yeah, I had had a few. Um, I had one, one. I was in a relationship with um, a girl that I thought I, I would marry, um, and she hated my drug use. You know, she she would use, but she wasn't an addict. You know what I mean? Mm. She could put it down. I just could not stop. And you know, we'd had time apart, and and we got back together, and I was like, "Yep, like it's gonna work this time." You know, but um. It didn't. Sadly, it didn't. And like I, I was um, in our crew, like we swore never to use needles or heroin, and I was doing it on the side, but I wasn't using needles. But when I broke up with that girl there, the one that I thought I'd marry, um, I started um, shooting heroin, and yeah, it was it was all downhill from there. Okay, mm. thanks. Thanks. Um, so back to you, then, Will. Yep. So you know you're about. What eighteen or something, and you, I think you've um, you left. You're leaving school about that point. So, what was life like out out in the real world? Yeah. So, look, I um, I came back. So, I did a bit of touring and froing when I was a teen, late teens between Australia and New Zealand, and then I finally um, came back to Australia when I was about eighteen. And um, I left school about the year previous um, after a failed attempt at trying to go back. And um, look, I came back to this country and uh, was living with my parents at the time. And um, Look, I think at that point I really gravitated towards marijuana and then recreational drugs um, on the weekends, you know. Like, uh, uh, I suppose at that point it was still, like, in the scene that I was in, that's what it was all about, you know. It was all about, like, going clubbing, like, using pills and and powders and whatever you get your hands on. And then during the work week or during the week, uh, I would just, every single day, I'd be using marijuana. Um, And that's really where my addiction to marijuana and recreational drugs really took off, you know, I I guess looking back at it now. Uh, Yeah, look, I went through periods of of employment, but the the truth is most of the time, um, due to my behaviours and my drug use, I I wasn't very employable. So I'd get to a point where... um, yeah, I'd play the victim in, in the workplace, or, or uh, you know, uh, my performance wasn't up to scratch, and uh, you know, I, I would, um, I would leave, leave jobs, or, um, or the other side of the coin. So, um, I think it, it, it's actually quite amazing how quickly, uh, with with that much substance abuse, uh, how life can just sort of start falling to the side, you know, and uh, and how much mm-hmm. I actually started isolating. Um, you know, what what did start off as um, sort of a, in the social scene um, quite quickly turned into um, a really, uh, yeah, horrible sort of existence. Okay, thanks. Well, listen, we might take a break there. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, podcasts of the 
Living Free show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. And they're also available on iTunes. We usually put them up on Friday if you want to hang out till then. Um, if you have a question or comment about the show, you can give us a call. On, uh, you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email on 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page at 3CRLivingFree and also we're on Twitter at 3CRLivingFree. Um, here's a brief community service announcement about uh, an upcoming local event. Well, that didn't work. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try again. What's happened to it? <laughs> this is going from bad to worse. Okay, um, I'm I'm talking to um, Marcus and Will, and we're we're talking about recovery from uh, active drug drug use, um, and they're members of Narcotics Anonymous, and they're sharing their story today, uh, talking about what it's life what life's like um, growing up, getting into drug addiction, um, what, how the fall comes, I guess, um, and then what happens after you find recovery. So I guess in our next stage, um, with um, start with you, uh, Marcus. So mm-hmm. you just start using heroin mm-hmm. after a breakup. So mm. what's life like getting onto heroin, injecting heroin? That's Oh, man, like... When I um, when I started doing that, like I thought I found the answer to all of my problems. Um, you know, I felt the warmth that I was looking for. I felt the answers, and um, I thought I'd found me. And um, you know, it wasn't long before you know I had a habit, right? And um, you know, I'd heard, I'd seen habits, and I'd heard about them from friends, and and um, you know that were around me when I was younger. But like, man, being sick was just um, not an option for me. You know, um, I couldn't go without it. I did everything and anything to to um, to get my drugs, and really, like, I ended up like. I ended up getting involved in in um, more serious and serious crime. You know, I'd always been there in the background, but um, really it, w- it was getting out of hand. And, um, like, for the first probably five years of, of, of using heroin was, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't too bad, you know. I, I could, like, I'd, um, I'd find means and ways to be able to get on. And, um, you know, it, after that, it just became hell, like... Um, my inhibitions come down. I was kicked out. I've been through stages of homelessness, um, prisons, um, in and out of rehabs, and I just could not stop. Like, my whole life revolved around that drug. And, um, yeah, man, like, when I use, like, I hurt people, you know. Anyone that's around me, I hurt them. And um, so I just ended up... Hating myself even more, you know. I um, you know, I would end up alone, you know. People were dying around me. Um, people ended up like that. I was hanging around with doing um, bigger, big stints in prison, and for me, I just sort of accepted that that's where life was going. Like I, I like I didn't care anymore. Hmm. And um, did you want to stop? Yeah, I did. I just couldn't. 
like I tried, you know, I tried things, you know, relationships and, 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 um, and I tried the methadone and the suboxone and I just couldn't stop, you know what I mean? Like nothing would stop me. And, um, yeah, I, I, I was in a bad way and like, I, and I hated the drug. Like I really hated it, but I couldn't go without it. Like I, I couldn't go sick, and if I did try to stop, I was just full of fear. And, um, you know, for me, I'll tell you what happened for me, Ron. I was always waiting for something to happen for me to stop using, like the death of a loved one or, or a relationship breakup or prison or, or or something to happen. And, and, and when it happened, when it came up, right, that did not stop me. Yep. I just kept using, yep. you know. And, and um, yeah, it's one hell of a drug, man. It's, yeah. it's, so um, how did you, apart from the crime, mm-hmm. how did you get the drugs? How did I get them? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, like, for me, I knew, like, some high-end heroin dealers, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and, like, I got the drug pretty cheap. And for me, I started, um, you know, I was a heroin dealer for a while, you know, to support my habit. And um, I, I was very connected in, in sort of the drug world and um, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, you meet people along the way, you know, through prison or through, you know, it's a street. And um, you, that, that's sort of how I, you know, you know, got, got my drugs. But I would, um, you know, if I couldn't, like if, just say I was... Um, Running red hot, right? Where I, I knew that, um, you know, all the police were after me. I, I'll just sort of, you know, I'd manipulate people, lie, cheat, uh, you know, or bamboozle people. You know, I was really good at doing that. Like I could, I could spin a story, and you know, I've just met you. And by the end of it, you give me a hug, and you give me your drugs and your cash. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, <laughs> like I, I was, I was amazing. <laughs> Good salesman. Yeah. Okay. Um, so back to you then, Will. Yep. Um, so you've sort of you're working. Your drug use is making work difficult. How's how's your health going? Yeah. So look, um, it was around that age, around just over, just past eighteen, where um. I had my first seizure, which uh, I think I could solely attribute to my substance and alcohol abuse at the time. Um, look, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but um, they, they, they sort of said that they weren't 100% sure what caused it. But there's definitely a link, I suppose, between what I was doing uh, outside versus what happened in my brain. Um, so around it was around that time that I started having um, these seizures, and but it didn't stop me, you know, like I continued to use uh, and I continued to drink. Um, I got to about at the age of 21 uh, where I had my I had a final seizure and I said that's it I'm not going to drink anymore but lo and behold I stopped I put down the cup and just picked up the drugs more you know I don't know the insanity of an addict yeah mm. um, I, I said oh well I suppose it enabled my behavior you know I'll, uh, well I don't drink now I'm I, you know but you know I smashed the drugs so anyway so from the age of about 21 onwards um I, I, my partner moved in with me. We, we lived together, and um, we moved out into 
the outer suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, look, to be honest, like my my drug use just got really isolated. Like I I pretty much was almost friendless. Uh, you know, apart from my dealers or using buddies, uh, if I barely had any of them anyway, um, I really just kind of um, went through periods of of once again of, of employment. You know, I'd do a month here, month there, maybe six months here if I was lucky. Um, and then, you know, I'd go through these big, big parts of um, where I'd be unemployed and, and my poor partner, she um, had to struggle through that. Um, and then, but, you know, she really stuck by me and, um, and supported us through thick and thin. And um, yeah, so look, it was, um, it just, things got really, really bad. Um, I just became more introverted and, and to the point of, um, you know, like really bad uh, paranoia. Um, yeah, just the, the, the regular pot use just got like the daily use just really ruined me with anxiety. Um, like I couldn't go to like shopping centers. Like I'd always have to be near the exits. Like, um, you know, uh, going to interviews, job interviews, I hated being in offices with like the door shut with other people. I'd get, I'd get into a full mm-hmm. panic attack. Um, I couldn't drive. Like it really, oh, like it really crippled me. Um, and this is marijuana we're talking yeah. about here, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not talking about, um, like it's amazing that, um, how much it's, um, oh, look, I won't get into that, but um, look, it really, really did damage my brain. Um, mm. And at that point, I actually wasn't doing too many recreational drugs. But um, what I ended up doing is I put down the marijuana because I realized, okay, like, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's crippling me. And, and I had a period of, let's not complete abstinence, because, but I do a little bit of recreational drugs. But lo and behold, you know, I decided that it would be an awesome idea to start using methamphetamine. Um, and uh, yeah, that's when things really started to <laughs> take mm. off. Get out of control. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Um, so what was your partner's reaction to that, to you starting another drug? Uh, I think initially we we would often use together socially. Um she is what we call a normie, as in my partner has always had the ability to have a drink or a drug and put it down and continue to responsible human yeah. being. Yeah? yeah, like just, just you know, within just yeah, completely reasonable. So um, I guess that's when I started. I suppose hiding a lot of stuff from her, like um, you yeah. know, like it would be maybe once a month with the two of us, or or, or and I would just be secretly always using on the side. Um, yeah, yep. Okay. Um, where are we up to? Um, so, I guess, uh, so drug use is keeping you underemployed. <laughs> so, that must put a lot of stress on your relationship. And so, how do you feel, you know, the fact that your partner is doing all the heavy lifting? Yeah, wow. Talk about uh, guilt, guilt and mm. shame. Well, it's all guilt because it's directly linked to my actions. Um Oh, yeah, look, and that's just the absolute, like, self-obsessed, self-serving nature of this disease. Like, I was completely selfish, and um, and I only was concerned about me, me, me. And uh, I guess... I would have periods where that that guilt would be uh, would be horrible, and I and I knew what I was doing. You know that conscious awareness of like, hey man, like you are a dickhead, like you've got to pull your head in. And um, but then you know what? Like I would get I I would just get on. I suppose to hide that. Like I would just keep mm. using. It was just this terrible cycle of of guilt. You but then like use and then like oh I'm going to stop. You know, but that just it just never happened. Yeah. So how mm. did you fund your drug use? So I suppose. Um, 
a certain loan loan shark uh, <laughs> place that I won't mention on the radio got a lot of my business. And um, uh, look, bit by bit, I just sold everything we had. You know, I uh, I literally near the end there. Um, the the more my methamphetamine use ramped up, the more that I would sell. Um, so like you know, when the money ran out, uh, like I, I my last full time job was a couple of years ago, and when that finished up, uh, I got a little bit of money from that when I finished, and um, and that sort of sustained my drug use for a little while but as soon as that started running out look I wasn't prepared to go back to work so I um I just literally bit by bit I would sell I would sell our positions and then I would also manipulate my partner um mm. into believing that um that the, that her wages were going towards utility bills rent all that kind of stuff but secretly I was just spending it on drugs and gambling um which went hand in hand for me with my methamphetamine use Okay, so you started mm. you you gambled when you were that's right under mm. right yes okay. yes so like <laughs> oh, a, and, 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 look I was never a gambler but um yeah. <laughs> but as it was just I don't know like for me and and I know it's the same for others when it came to methamphetamine gambling whether it's that endorphin rush or that that what we call cracktivities that gives you a, a a facet to just like fixate on you know like uh mm. yeah like I just that's that was my cycle I would get on I would gamble and um and then I would come down and I would sleep it off for a couple of days and then when the money came back in or I could I could figure a way out of earning some money i would get back on and um you know and the, so the lies would build the lies with my partner were building and building and building and i was coming up with more what we call plausible excuses for uh un, you know un, for actual lies you know for for our behavior for my behavior and um yeah it, it just started getting really really bad okay thanks mm. um so back to you marcus um yep. so did did you you mentioned that some of your friends were sort of dying so mm-hmm. did you ever overdose yeah, I um, I wasn't like a serial overdoser. Like I had friends that um, you know, that would use and they'll drop and um, you know, you'd bring them back to life, or save them, or have to get the ambulance out or Narcan. And but for me, um, yeah, I had two really, oh, probably two or three really bad overdoses. Um, where I ended up in hospital on the um on all the machines and stuff, and um, wasn't life support. Like I came through, but. Um, yeah, they weren't intentional, like, um, it was just that my, um, uh, I would would have been on a bender with other drugs and then, like, throw some pills in the mix, you know, some benzos and stuff, and, um, you know, I used and, you know, I'd drop and, um, yeah, like, not even that scared me, do you know what I mean? One of them times I went from hospital straight to prison. Um, you know, and you know, I'll get out of prison, and I'll and I'll be using it straight away. I'll use it in prison. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but like that was another thing on my list. Like if I, I, I the overdoses that scare, but really, like um, I'll spew, I was I was angry when I overdosed because um, you know that they would narcane you. It's yeah. a waste. It's yeah. a waste. Of, waste of your gear. <laughs> waste of your drugs, and and you get a headache, and you don't feel too good. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> classic. Yeah, uh, just an off the cup question. I, yep. I know you mentioned to me earlier off air that you used to use around the Richmond area. Yeah. So, do you have any comment on the safe injecting centre? Um, well, for me, someone that's in track, uh, that's um, that's had Hep C, um, I, I, I really, I believe it's it's a good place to start. I really do, because um, it keeps it contained and. And for me, like, to be honest, um, 
uh, when I was using down there, I was just trying to think if I still was using down there. Um, I would only really go there, right, if I was having, if I was going to have a huge shot. Do you know right. what I mean? Just yeah. so there was people around. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I am all for it. I'm yeah. all for it. Okay. Mm. Thanks. Mm. Um, okay. So I think you're in your early early thirties around now. Yep. Um, so was there a trigger that got you to start thinking that you, you should stop? Um, there, like for me, from, from like a young age, I knew I should stop using, do you know what yep. I mean? Like it was just, it was ruining my life and other people's around me. Um, but for me, um, I like as a heroin addict you, and like in a hardcore drug addict, you always like hear stories about NA and stuff. And um, like for me, um, I had a intervention by my family. I, I moved, I'd moved back home with my family, my parents, and um, I had a friend come over, family the uh, family friend come over, and she had friends that were in NA and stuff, and. Um, you know, I had a, a girlfriend at the time, which, you know, um, she was on the good career path. You know, we we're going to set up a life together again for me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd, gone, I'd gone into a program, really, um, you know, because I was threatened with homelessness and being kicked out and threatened from the girlfriend again, right? So for me, I, I did try to get clean, right? But... I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was really doing it to save face, you know. I was doing it for other people. And me being a, a slippery junkie, I'd always find a way out, you yeah. know. Surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> like, you know, I'm very good at hiding it. Yeah. Or okay. so I think, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so I finally queued up the, um, the community service announcement. So here it is. Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. <clears throat> uh, I'm talking to Marcus and Will about recovery from drug addiction. And we're sort of at the point where um, they're both getting into um, NA in one shape or another. Um, so I guess start with you uh, again, Marcus. So mm-hmm. coming in, you, you you didn't come for yourself. You came for other people. So how That's did right. that, what impact did that have on your NA recovery? Ah, uh, really... Um as I was saying before, I just did it to sort of save face, um, to save relationships, you know, and um, it's, you know, I didn't stop using. I'd come in, I'd come into the rooms and, you know, I was, I was, you know, the ones that talk the rubbish out the front and, and um, I was sort of, you know, to be honest, I was looking... For the people that were still sort of using, you know. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, did when when did NA start to mean something to you? Really, it would have been um, probably about two years ago. You know, I'd done a few uh, a few rehabs, and my um, 
you know, I went into rehab this time, the la- sorry, the one before last, and, like, I really, I wanted to get clean because I could, I could see where my life was going, you know what I mean? And um, after all, you know, after all the prison ODs and all that, like, I, I um, you know, and it, I knew that I was going to either end up in jail for the rest of my life or dead, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I had a, had a bit of clarity there where I was homeless again and I went and asked my family to help me, you know. And um, for me to ask for help is just non-existent, you know. So they really, um, they saw me when I was suicidal, you know, I was homicidal and and they decided to um, put me in a treatment centre again. And, you know, I came back uh, this time in the rooms after... Um, treatment you know I, I was um I was still on um, methadone and you know I struggled in the rooms I really did because um you know I had all friends that were getting um you know time up and because I was on methadone I still wasn't using my drug of choice you know I felt less than and I didn't feel part of so you didn't feel clean no 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 no, no. even though like I was I could think I was you know but really I wasn't like methadone is like you know, it's it's liquid handcuffs. It's like everyone, you know. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I um, I went back out there. I went news, and I was straight back to where I was before. You know, and um, and that's progressive nature, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Straight away. Yeah. You know. Mm. So yeah, I ended up back to where I was before, doing the same old thing. I was living in a transition house, through the rehab, using, lying again. You know, committing crime again, and um, and what happened to me? I um, I ended up losing my veins in my arms, and so you couldn't inject. I couldn't inject, you know, and I started doing going in my groin, and on one day I remember I was sitting in my car, and I was and I and I was trying to get a vein, I was full of blood, all over me. And I broke down and, and like, I, I cried probably 15 years of tears come out of me and this pain and, and, I, and I prayed help. You know, I, play, I asked for help from whoever's out there. And the very next day at the transition house that I was living at, I got caught. I got caught throwing um, dirty urines and, you know, I had two options. I had one to go back to – to go to a, a heroin dealer's house where it was it – was, it was, Copious amounts of drugs, or go back into treatment and get clean. And luckily, um, they took me back. I was broken enough to um, to ask them to. I just said, "Show me, please help me." You know, because yeah. um, it was at, it was at the end. You know, you know, and um, and now ever since then, I've been in Narcotics Anonymous, and man, like, you know, I'm nearly fifteen months clean, and what I've got and it's in them fifteen months is amazing. Like I've um I've got my family back, you know, I've got rid of the, the hepatitis C I had. I've got myself back. I've got I'm finally out of the justice system, you know, and I've just got this overwhelming gratitude for life now. Um and it's amazing. Like I wake up every day and and I've got a smile on my face, you know. So did you think you were mm-hmm. going to die if you kept on using? Was that? Uh, I knew. Yeah. Like, I knew, you know what I mean? Um, I had this, yeah, as I said, that, that moment in the car, like, I knew. Like, I, I, 
and I sort of the, the sad thing was I accept I accepted that that's what was going to happen to me, yeah. you know. But but there was always like always had family there that would show up, you know, in my head, and I'm like, I can't do it to them. I've hurt too many people. I can't do this to my family, you know, because they sort of always been there here and there. They've given up a few times, you know. Yeah. And especially my mum, you know what I mean? She um, she was always there, you know, mm. even through coming through prisons and all that. And she would always she would always be there for me. So I was like, I can't do. I've got to do something, man. Okay. You know, and um, yeah, I, I just got to like, I've got to pinch myself sometimes to to um, and realize like I'm clean because yeah. to be honest. Um, I didn't think I was meant to be clean. Like, yeah. I didn't think I was worthy enough. And now, like, I've um, I've got this amazing life, you know, yeah. and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, terrific. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so over to you, uh, Will. Sure. Um, I think we left you. You were pretty much heading towards the rock bottom. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. <laughs> what happened? So uh, I suppose the last couple of years of my active use, uh, I really started to pick up and run with the methamphetamine and... Um, as I suppose, as I became completely unemployable, uh, my partner was struggling to support us and I completely hid everything from her. So as far as she knew, I was just a depressed guy that just couldn't find work and um, I really worked that, you know, I played that card a lot. And uh, so look, in the the end result was that um, everything started getting shut off. The water got shut off, the utilities got shut off, like, and then I'd actually been going to VCAT because the our land lords had been trying to kick us out of the home because we'd stopped paying rent, you know. Um, so I went to court three times uh, to try to fight it. And on the third time, third and final time, and keep in mind, this is all while my partner doesn't know anything about this. So I'm trying to, try, I'm really hanging on to my using as, as hard as I can. Hmm. So the last time I, I went into court and that was one of the most horrific days of my life. I, I walked in there and was pretty much told, uh, Will, you, you have 10 days to vacate the premises and then the police will be there to escort you out on that 10th t- day. And, and I burst into tears and it was just brutal, absolutely brutal, because I guess finally I couldn't run. I couldn't run from what I've done anymore. Yeah. And I was finally at that point where, like, I had to... There's no, no matter how many lies... I couldn't lie my way out of anything now. That was it. I had to just finally be honest for the first time in years to my partner and say hey this is what's going on by the way in a couple of days we're getting evicted and so on and so on which uh wow talk about rock bottom um yeah that was so what'd she say uh wow yeah look um i think the truth is uh i think she was so devastated Mm. uh so caught off so caught by surprise that um she didn't say too much, you know. It was all in her expression. Um, yeah, like um, I, 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 yeah, I do not want to relive those days. That that was um, that was brutal. Like that was the lowest low of my life so far. Uh, and you know, like it was really hard to, to keep in the denial about the fact that I'm an addict. Like at this point, like it's still like you know. So I think I finally had the courage to reach out and actually find somewhere where I could get help, you know, like I tried so many times by myself to quit the amount of times I'd broken paraphernalia and I deleted my, uh, my contacts numbers and I, and I'd got a new SIM card and, and then, you know, one week later I'd I'd have some money in my pocket and I'd be back on trying to get on, you know, it didn't matter. Like, uh, I tried everything, (laughs) everything out there that I could possibly do to try to stop using by myself and it never worked. Um, 
So did you contact NA? So one lonely night in active, I, uh, I rang the NA helpline and spoke to a lovely lady who was able to just explain to me what, what, what does all the things mean in the, in the meetings list, you know, JFT and all these different things or newcomers meeting. And I was, it, was, it was completely foreign to me and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure where to go, what to do. And uh, she just guided me through that process. I, she, look, she was an ear just to, to listen to me vent about what the situation I'm in and that I need help. And uh, that was my first contact with then a uh it was um yeah that was the start of my journey to recovery i suppose okay mm. um so what was your first na meeting like so yeah my first na meeting so my story is uh i i just came through the rooms i i didn't do a rehab or a detox or any transitional living or anything like that i I didn't have money or health insurance or any really, I, I didn't have the time to wait for a public bed or anything. So I was just told, come, you know, get to meetings and keep coming back. So my first meeting was, I guess I was, I was excited. Um, I, I turned up and there was just these people that was just so friendly, so welcoming. Uh, and then quite quickly, mm. people that I could relate to, like uh, so honest and open-minded and willing to talk to me. Um, I guess like, I don't know if I quite realized it then, but I'd come home. Like I'd actually found a place where, like I found my tribe, you know, I found a place where I'm accepted, where, where I can just slowly become, well, like there's a saying that, that, the that the fellowship will keep loving you until you can love yourself. So mm. it was really a, my first experience of unconditional love of, of being in an environment where people aren't trying to get stuff out of you or manipulate or lie to you or hurt you, uh, which, you know, the drug scene, it's just what it's all about, you know, from my experience. Mm. Um, mm. the, 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 that first meeting was an introduction to a new way of life, a, w- a way that could be possible for me because I could see it had been possible for others. Yep. So was NA the solution? NA was most certainly the solution, yes. Oh, I am a for, will be a forever grateful member of, of the fellowship. Uh, the truth is my story involves a relapse. I, 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 I got about 100 days up in the fellowship and uh, I, I ended up, taking a bit of my own will back and I wasn't doing all the suggested things and um, I returned to work a bit early and, and, and I was look I, I did all I left loopholes in my recovery loopholes in my program and uh, the end result is due to being a, a unable to cope with uh, with my feelings uh, with my attitude and my behaviors at the time I picked up so I picked up and used uh, my drug of choice for two days and um, I tell you what I just became that exact same person that I was when I first came into recovery it was mm-hmm. uncanny how quickly that first drug was all it took for me to revert straight back to that self-centered egotistic paranoid crazy person that I was when I came into the rooms um, so how did you break out of that I I uh, out of the actual the uh, yeah, well, yeah, look, it, it's one of those things like higher power job, my partner, I'm not sure. Look, I think, no, actually I do know. You know what? I finally wanted to do this for myself. That was the truth. Mm. I first came into recovery because I'd, I'd, I'd hit in a, a, a rock bottom and I didn't want to lose my partner and I wanted a new way of life. But was I completely ready to actually surrender and do this program and do it for myself? Probably not. And I think that was evident when I picked up again for the, for that next time. I think finally after that relapse, I just... I wanted this for me. Like I don't I don't want to be a slave to drugs for the rest of my life. Like I actually want to be able to enjoy life, live in the moment, maybe mm. one day be a father. I would like to be accountable, responsible to my friends. I, I would like to be able to hold a job like uh you know, like I, I think I just I've given this a crack for fifteen years of my life pretty much. At least ten years 
I've given drugs a go and, and I've tried them in every way, shape, form. And you know what? The end result has always been the same. It's just devastation and misery. It's never gotten better. It's mm. never, it's never, no matter how, what my mind would tell me, it would never worked out for me. So um, in NA, like other 12-step programs, it's about helping others. So what Mm -hmm. sort of things do you do? So for me, uh, I, I, I took on all the suggested things in NA. So part of that is working the 12 steps. And, and that's really where I found the solutions. I found the solutions to that, 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 um, that gap that's left when you remove the drugs, the void, that empty void, that, that, that horrible feeling. And that is what I used to fill it. That's the place where I found the tools to get some awareness and insight into myself. And as a result of that, part of that process is carrying the message to newcomers. Part of that process is doing service. And, uh, and, you know, I, I feel that it's, it's one of the best ways that I can reaffirm my own recovery and that I can, I can really confirm why I'm doing this is that there's nothing better than being able to talk to a newcomer and to carry the message of recovery and hope because then it, it always, like, rem, it, I remind myself of where I came from. I remember what I was when I came into this fellowship, a broken down, just absolutely erratic, crazy person that just, just I felt like I had no hope, yeah, and then I found it here and I found it in the fellowship. So mm. for me, th- there is no greater gift than being able to talk to a newcomer, carry the message, and maybe instill some hope in someone else, you know, because that was what was given freely to me. Like, oh, this fellowship, it has no dues. There are no fees. Like, this is a place where it's like an old school tribe where we just teach this knowledge and we hand it on from one person to another. Um, And the only desire is a desire to stop using, and I just think that's incredible. Yeah. Mm. Uh, So how... Uh, your relationships with your partner and your family. So through through this process of working the steps, um, I was able to make amends with my family, who I'd actually ceased contact with for a couple of years. So so now I have my family back in my life from New Zealand, which I never thought was going to be possible, and and we have a reasonably good relationship now. Uh, my partner and I, oh man, it's like um. The, the honest truth is in, in the last nine or ten months, I've been more present and we have had more fun together than we have in, in eight or nine years of being together, you know. Uh, like, it's just, it's been incredible to turn around, um, you know, uh, through working the steps, through turning up every day, through through service, through having a sponsor, through doing all these suggested things, the end result is I've got freedom now. Like I, you know, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and and I have days where I where I have using thoughts and things like that, but I'm not a slave to it now. You know, like I have hope. Like just for today, by doing it a day at a time, um, I have hope for the future. You know that anything is possible and um, miracles are happening around me every day. It's it's an incredible process. Mm. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, listen, that's about all we've got time for. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Narcotics Anonymous uh, and how they could possibly help you, you can phone them on 039525-2833 or you can go online at navic.net.au. Um, it's about time, so um, I'd like to thank Marcus and Will for coming in today and sharing your recovery story. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of Al-Anon family groups. Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thank you for listening to Living Free Program. 